This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Luke chapter 11 tonight, Luke chapter 11. We had a great turnout in the prayer meeting tonight. That's the best crowd yet this week as far as size. I'm not quantifying the quality of people, just the size-wise. It was really good tonight. And uh, so thank you for those who made the effort to be there tonight. Awesome time. Speaking of prayer, a man named E.M. Bounds, who wrote extensively on prayer, said this, Around us is a world lost in sin. Above us is a God willing and able to save. It is our duty to build the bridge that binds heaven and earth, and prayer is the mighty instrument that does that work. Well, that's true. There's a world separated from God, and you think, ah, oh, I want so much for my relatives to be saved, you know, and have you ever had this frustration? I, I try to tell people about the Lord, but they just won't listen. Hey, hey, remember this. When you can't talk to men about God, you can always talk to God about men. That's intercession. A man named A.C. Dixon said this. When we rely on or- organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. That's being well-spoken, you know, articulate. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. Well, that's so well said. One of my favorite quotes on prayer outside of the Bible, uh, Bible verses is a simple sentence from a man named Owen Carr. He said this, a day without prayer is a boast against God. Whew, think about that for a little bit. A day without prayer is a boast against God. Would you ever dare to say, thanks, Lord, but I got it today. I'll, I'll handle it. Nobody would say that. But isn't that what we say when we don't pray by default? He says, you have not because what? Yeah, you ask not. You have not because you didn't pray. So I want to talk to you about prayer tonight and tomorrow. I figure tomorrow night's Wednesday. You know, that's the normal prayer meeting night. I didn't, I didn't come into the week with a series of messages laid out in my mind. Here's where we're going to go. I, I pray starting about a month ahead of time. So for the last four weeks or so, I've been praying, all right, Lord, I'll be at Good News soon. I need to know exactly what you want me to preach. He doesn't always show me that the week before. Sometimes I'll come in and I'll, there been, I'll, I'll tell you this, there have been nights I'll have two or three messages that I've got pulled out and like, which is the right one? And I don't know. And that's how the Lord keeps me dependent. And... Um, Sometimes, I will tell you this, sometimes I've had people come say, have you been talking to my pastor? (laughs) And I will tell them, no, but I have been talking to your father, the one in heaven, and he knows you. And pastors love it, because they don't normally tell me, hey, if you'd preach on this, this, and this, I'm sure they'd, they'd like to say that in the flesh, like, how about this list of messages? But they don't do that, you know, they leave it up to me. And I don't know you. I mean, not well, you know, I know some of you, but I don't know you, but God does. And it's interesting how he'll lead, and sometimes you think, oh, ouch, oh, who told him? (laughs) I'm praying the Lord will. So we're going to talk about prayer tonight and tomorrow night. Um, I've got to tell you, to the the mortal mind, prayer can seem like a passive activity. You know what passive is, seemingly not accomplishing much? But then on the other hand, prayer can seem like some of the most laborious work you'll ever do, some of the most exhausting work you'll ever do, too. How can something that seems passive can also be so exhausting? When you pray, you're entering into the realm where you and I don't have any power in and of ourselves. The Lord said, you know, you have not because you ask not. He says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. He says, you know, unto me, I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty which thou knowest not. 
prayer is tedious work to the flesh because we're moving into a realm where Satan is threatened when we pray because he knows God can answer when we pray. And so that's why prayer is so important. Luke chapter 11 tonight, verses 1 to 4. Let me read it to you, Luke chapter 11. Just four verses, and we'll take this as our text for the next two nights here. came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that's indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I enjoyed uh, going with Pastor today to do the recordings, and I was sharing testimony. I'm calling the series I did, Truths from a Testimony of Total Transformation, and life life principles from certain chapters of the Bible that totally transformed me and, and my family. So as I'm talking through that today, he and I were relating like, oh, that's so similar to my family. Oh, that was so similar to what my dad experienced. Oh, that's so, oh yeah, my dad's one led me to the Lord. You know, we're going back and forth on all this. I I was thinking about learning to pray. You know, I I basically learned to pray by listening to my parents pray and then being in prayer meeting at church. But I did tell you earlier that, you know, I'd grown up in a church where they didn't preach the Bible. And so the the only Bible I ever heard was every week we would stand and recite what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And I've got to tell you, you know, we'd all stand, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It sounded like a Gregorian chant. It, it wasn't real inspiring, to tell you the truth. And so I grew up with somewhat of a natural aversion to, quote, the Lord's Prayer. It's actually as a model prayer. But I, I grew up kind of, a, oh boy, the Lord's Prayer. You know, I'd heard enough of that in the church where I grew up and they didn't preach the Bible. But God was going to change my heart, that's for sure. Somebody gave me a message from a, a preacher out of Texas. And when he was in college, he had committed to God that he would pray an hour every day. And he had followed that all the way through his adult years. And the message I heard him preach was, probably he was in his 50s at the time. In fact, he had his church pray. His church was in Houston. And he would have them pray. um, Sometimes it would be uh, Monday through Friday. Other times it would be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They varied it over the years. But they'd meet at something like 5 o'clock in the morning. And they'd pray. And it, it was powerful. So... A friend of his had asked him to come up to Iowa and preach this, and he normally did it in a seven-part series, seven parts on prayer. And his friend had said, look, I can only have you one night, and I want you to preach the whole thing in one night. He said, do you realize how long that message would be? He said, I don't care for two hours. Just give us the the gist of it. And the message I listened to was literally an hour and 50 minutes, I think. It was a long message, and I was hanging on every word. Because, you know, when somebody preaches something they really live, it's it's pretty impactful. And so I wrote to his church and said, could I get the whole series? And they sent it to me. It was transformative. I remember I listened to it when I was washing and waxing my truck and trailer. And when you have a 40 or 43 foot trailer like I do, it takes a while to wash and wax your truck and trailer. So I'm out there, you know, washing and waxing. And this is back when, uh, this is on cassette. And we had a, I was listening on a Walkman. Y'all remember a Walkman? Fuzzy little ear things, like some of these kids, like, ooh, vintage, yeah. That was technology at the time, right? So I'm out there washing wax, but I'm listening, and I'll tell you, there are days I got tears coming down my face. It was so convicting. And 
the preacher took this passage of the Lord's model prayer and said, look, this prayer was meant to be a template or a, a pattern, an outline of how to pray. The early church used it as a model for how to spend an hour a day with God in prayer. And we're going to unpack it. We're going to look at it. So powerful, I thought, I, I've got to develop a series on that too. That's really, really important. And when Pastor made very clear to me that his burden is for revival in the church, you all know we keep going back to the principle, if my people, which are called by my name, he said, well, that was given to Israel. Yeah, it was. But it is such a universal truth. It has been the key to revival down through history. If my people shall humble themselves, and then what's the next thing said? Pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, we'll heal their land. We're not going to have revival without prayer. I mentioned I traveled with Dr. Ron Comfort for one summer, just a month actually, an internship. And I remember him often saying, little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Much prayer, much power. Don't you want to see God do something in our country? You want to see God do something in your church? You want to see God do something in your family? We need to pray. He says, without me you can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, but you have not because you ask not. They're all related. One day my daughter was about nine, I think, and she came to me and she said, Dad, why do you think God wants us to pray? And I'm thinking, well, Heather, you know, prayer is one of the most inherently Christian things we can do. What do you mean? Why does he want us to pray? She wasn't being a smart aleck. She, she's always had a keen uh, analytical mind. And so she said, why do you think God wants us to pray? I said, that's good. Uh, what do you mean, hon? She said, well, he already knows what we're going to say before we say it. So why do we have to go through the, you know, the exercise, or not her word, I'm nine-year-old, how did she say it? Why do we have to actually do that? Because he already knows what we're going to say. Let me think about that, honey, for a minute. It's always good to think before you give an answer, you know. And I said, you know, I'm sure there are probably numerous reasons for that, but honey, listen, one reason I know, God says you have not because you ask not. So often when things that are really good happen, how often does God get the credit for the really good things? You have a beautiful day like today. How many people say, wow, isn't God good? This was beautiful today. It's rare, even among Christians, it's rare. As soon as things go bad, who gets the blame? God does. Remember the attacks in 9-11 in New York and D.C.? Why did God do this to America? As soon as it goes bad, but it's God's fault, right? But I will tell you something. When you pray specifically and God answers specifically, who gets the glory? God does. God gets the glory. And I think that's one of numerous reasons that he says you have not because you ask not. I want to show myself strong in your behalf. But when you pray, you're entering into a realm where you do not have any power. I don't have any persuasiveness in the realm of the heavenlies. But God does. That's why we need to pray. I've entitled the message with a simple statement out of the text itself. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Isn't it interesting? Go back to verse 1. He was in a certain place praying. You know, if it's, it's like normal. You read uh, Jesus would go in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he would he'd get on his knees. Isn't that interesting? The Son of God on his knees. It's interesting. Paul often says, I bow my knees to the Father. Was it just figurative? Well, apparently they did it literally. I, you know, it's not that you can't pray without being on your knees. 
Um, you, you can watch and pray. It's highly advisable when you're driving. Uh, my wife was in a church where her dad was a pastor in Iowa, and she said every Thursday night we'd go out on visitation. She said, well, my sister and I went with Mrs. Cox, and Mrs. Cox was, she's kind of odd. Uh, she'd load up in the car and say, okay, well, now let's all pray. But she'd start driving, and then she'd bow her head. And she'd say, Lord, we're going to make these visits. And she didn't pray quick prayers either. And my, my wife's watching. She said she swiped a mailbox. She went up on the sidewalk. You know, and later on, she said to her dad, who was the pastor, Dad, do you know Mrs. Cox closes her eyes when she prays? He said, well, honey, most people do that. When she's driving. It's like, you are not going on visitation with Mrs. Cox anymore. Okay, so there's a, there's a time to watch and pray. By the way, the Bible does not say, thou shalt close thine eyes when thou prayest. You know, wh- why do we do that? Reverence, yeah. See, God's a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. My dad taught me a long time ago, when you talk to people, look them in the eyes. That's why I try to, I'm trying to make as much eye contact with all of you as I can, because I'm not just talking to the air here, I'm talking to you, right? But you, you can't see God, so you know why we pray with our eyes closed, is because we're shutting out distractions. But when you're driving, you keep your eyes open, okay? But it's interesting, um, why, did, why did Jesus bow? Probably an example to us. And he says, I do always those things that please him. You know, he's submitting to the Father. So he's in a certain place praying. And and again, it doesn't say in this immediate context that he was on his knees. I don't know that. I'm just going by his, you know, his habit, okay? He certainly could have walked and prayed or sat and prayed. Fine. But there's something so powerful about his prayer life that when he's finished, and they don't interrupt him during the time, but they said, would you teach us to do that? They said, you know, John taught his disciples. Which, which John do you think they mean here? John the Baptist, yeah. John taught his disciples. Would you teach us? That, that tells me that prayer is a learned thing. In fact, that's what challenged me as a preacher to preach on prayer. Because how do you know if you don't learn? Well, I've been praying for years. Yeah, I have too, and I'll tell you, I found my prayer life kind of got bogged down. And I remember... One time I seemed like I was just going through the motions of praying and I, and I asked God, Lord, would you help me with my prayer life? In fact, I've, I've re-added that to my prayer list this year. Lord, take my prayer life to a whole new level. I need to learn from you. I was preaching at Tri-City Christian School, uh, Tri-City Baptist Church in, in uh, Independence, Missouri, outside of Kansas City. Um, Dr. Herbster was there, Mark, Matt, and Mike's dad. And so they had a school principal named Damian Aarons. Damian's real man of prayer. So I went over to preach in chapel. He said, hey, Rich, let's go to my office and pray. So we did. And man, he cleared everything out. We got on our face on the floor of his office. He was serious about praying. And he said, hey, I want to tell you something. I pray for you regularly. I said, oh, thanks, Damien. He said, no, I don't just say that. And he handed me an index card. It had Rich Tozer on there and specific dates that year that he had prayed for me. He said, sometimes we say to people, hey, I pray for you, but we don't really mean it. Or we intend to do it, but we never get around to it. He said, I write it down so that people know I really did it and to keep me accountable. I said, that's a good idea. So I took my prayer list and I transferred it to some cards. Later on now, I, I use a little, a little black binder, you know, what, I don't know, four by six or whatever it is. And I write my requests in there. And then I, and then I write them down when I prayed for that person. And there's certain people I pray for every day, like family and lost people, etc. And then there are others I rotate every few days. But, you know... That was a specific answer to prayer. He gave me a pattern and it helped me. That's my interest tonight in preaching on prayer. I don't want to just fill your mind with, you know, information. 
hopefully challenge your heart to actually pray. Really pray. So what do we learn? What we have here from Jesus is a pattern for prayer in verses 1 to 4. And it's a six-point outline, and I'm going to give you three tonight and three tomorrow, Lord willing, okay? So you say, oh, I can't be here tomorrow. Well, that's all right. You'll get something out of tonight, too. And you can watch tomorrow if you can't make it, all right? Uh, Tune in later if you have to. But I, I really want you to see how Jesus laid out his instruction on praying. So they said, teach us to pray. He he obliges, verse 2. He said, well, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Okay, we're going to start with those tonight. Notice how he addresses the Father, by the way. It's a noun of direct address. Father, which art in heaven. You know, he didn't say our drill sergeant. He didn't say our monarch, our king. He didn't say, you know, our boss, our father. If you know Christ as Savior, you have God as Father. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The most important relationship you have is a relationship with God. And you can only have that through the Savior, God the Son, Jesus Christ. And when you realize this, I'm I'm separated from God by my sins. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hit his face from you. Okay, so the wages of sin is death. There's a price for sin. So sin separates me from God. I'm condemned because of sin. So what does the scripture declare? Christ died for our sins. And he was buried and he rose again the third day. Very clear, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Remission is the noun from the word remit. To remit is to remove, to take away. He said Christ died for our sins so that his blood was shed. He could take away our sins. You say, so you just believe on Jesus and you'll go to heaven. That sounds too easy. Well, easy for you because it was agony for him. He, he did all the work. And when you come to a place of dependence upon him, a rep- I'm a guilty sinner against a holy God and there's nothing I can do about it rely totally on him, that's when you become part of God's forever family. For me, the story of 1977, most important day in my life when I trusted Christ as my Savior. If you've never done that, before I go any farther tonight, you could pray right there. You don't even have to wait for me to get to the invitation. You could quietly, in just between you and God, you don't even have to audibleize it. He can hear your thoughts. He knows our downsitting, our uprising. He understands our thoughts are far off. The Bible's clear. You could say, God, I need you to be my Savior. Jesus, I believe that I am guilty, but that you love me enough. You died for my sins. I believe your blood paid for my sins. I believe you rose again, and that's how the Father showed he accepted the sacrifice. And I'm asking now, will you please save me based on what you did for me? Right there, while I'm still talking, you could be communicating with God and receive that. Maybe you're home listening tonight by way of live stream. You don't have to wait to come to church and have somebody show you can be saved right where you are right now. I sure hope you would. So what does he do after he teaches us to pray, Lord? Well, notice this. He says, hallowed be thy name. Number one tonight is praise to God. Praise to God. The word hallow means to be held in highest regard, to be set apart, singular separation from everything else in the place of most exalted position. Hallowed be thy name. It really grieves me to see churches wanting to bring God down to a man level today. You know, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible's clear about that. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is just our buddy, you know. He's not just our fishing pal, our coffee shop buddy. 
He is holy, holy, holy. He is God. And when you come to him, he says, you, you pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's start with this concept of praise. I'd like you to go back to the Old Testament to Psalms. Go to Psalm 100. For most of you, if you open your Bible to the middle, you should come to the book of Psalms, depending on how much concordance and how many maps you've got in your Bible. But typically, Psalms you'll find right in the middle of your Bible. And we're going to go to Psalm 100. All right, talking about praise. So if you have kids and they say, hey, Dad, I need five bucks, <laughs> how does that go? <laughs> my, my daughters have learned this. You know, they'll come, when they were younger, they'd say, Dad, anybody told you how awesome you are lately? <laughs> you happen to need something? Well, you know, they're having that afterglow after church tonight. Could we have five dollars? Okay, so they've even learned how to approach, you know, their dad, their earthly dad, and I love them. When we come to God, he says, I want you to approach me with praise. There's a, there's a proper protocol. In fact, the preacher I was telling you about who, who would spend an hour a day with prayer, in prayer with God, he said, I, I learned this a long time ago, praise is the front and the back door of prayer. In the Luke passage, it talks about, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In the Matthew passage, as you get to the end of the prayer, it says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So he said, you enter into God's presence with praise and you exit his presence with praise. How many people really do that? How often do I really do that? And I'm the one preaching this. That's an area the Lord's really been working in my heart. There's a proper protocol when you come to God. So look at this, Psalm 100. It's a short psalm. Let's read it here. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. When I was in college, I remember taking a class called Evangelistic Song Leading, and um, the, the the choir director at uh, Campus Church was a man named Geddes Allen. He still leads choir. And he would do the congregational singing. And he said, listen, do you know why we have congregational singing? It's not just to fill up part of the service. He said, you know why the dark ages were the dark ages? We always think, well, the Bible was taken out of the hands of the common person. You know, they had it chained to the pulpit and only the clergy would read the Bible. Well, that's part of the reason the dark ages were called the dark ages. But there was another reason, too. There was no congregational singing. Only paid clergy would perform. But when times of revival or awakening came, all of a sudden there's congregational singing. And it was vibrant. It was lively. And he said, here's, here's the principle. You should know not only that it's important that we have congregational singing, you should know why we do it. When I open my mouth to praise someone, I open my heart to him. That's well said. When I open my heart to praise someone, I open my heart to him. So if I said to you, hey, boy, that's, you're wearing a nice smile, or I like that outfit, you know what I'm doing? I'm opening my heart to you. That's a compliment, right? When you praise God, you open your heart to him. Hey, let's flip it around. What happens when you don't praise God? That's why I hate to preach before people have sung. Occasionally, I'll be in a Christian school, and they'll say, well, we'll just skip all the preliminaries. Just get up there and start preaching. Well, as much as I like the time to preach, it's so important to sing something before we even have preaching. Preaching prepares the heart, prepares your heart. And God inhabits the praises of his people. So, interesting. He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Um, I'm sorry. He says, I make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and 
You know, Brother Ned mentioned that the other night. Some, some of us, that's about all we can do. That's okay. You ever hear kids sing? They sing off key, but you love it because they're happy. They're not fighting, you know, and the Lord delights when we sing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Notice, serve the Lord with what? Gladness, not dour or down in the dumps. Uh, come before his presence with singing. Yeah, I, I remember back during the pandemic when uh, some of the California churches were told they couldn't sing, you know, and, and what right do they have to say what you do in your worship or not? You can go to Home Depot and buy all your stuff, but you can't sing in church. Sorry, not your place to tell us that. Um, no, I understand. If, you know, if you've got, if you're going to contaminate people, okay, you, it, you don't have to be spreading droplets all over everybody. But I will tell you something. If we're ever told you can't witness or you can't sing, sorry, singing is commanded by God. He wants us to sing. Okay, and then he goes on to say this, Know ye that the Lord, he's God, it is he that made us, not we ourselves. We're not our own creation. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then notice this, enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And into his courts with what? Praise. Okay, go back right under Psalm 100, the header. What is the, uh, what's the title of this psalm? Psalm of praise. That's really interesting. As I was listening to that series, the preacher pointed out, this is the only psalm that has the inscription, a psalm of praise. Now, there's one that has David's psalm of praise, but this is the only one that's a psalm of praise. You would think lots of them would be entitled a psalm of praise. And his, his um, suggestion was, this was the psalm that they used when they came to the tabernacle and later to the temple. And it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Have any of you ever been up to the uh, replica of the tabernacle up in Lancaster County, PA, that, you know, the Mennonites have put together? Anybody ever been there? Okay, a few of us have. So, you know, badger skin around the property, and here's the idea. You come into the gates, you come into the property with thanksgiving. Then enter to his courts with praise. Well, then there would be various courts. Now, let me transition this to use the, uh, tab- the temple, because I'm remembering the different courts that you go through. So obviously the focal point of the temple was the holy place, the holy of holies. That's where God dwelt, right? But enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Okay, first they'd have the court of Gentiles. Anybody of any land could go there, right? Then they'd have the court of women. So the women of Israel could go that far. Then they'd have the court of Israel. Only the males could go that far. Then they'd have the court of priests. Only the priests could go there. Then there was the holy place, and only the high priest once a year could go there, and that not without blood, okay? Isn't it interesting? So there's a progression here. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. A little secret here, the secret of the Lord's with them that fear him. If you want to grow closer in intimacy with God, you start with thanks, and then you move into praise. Okay, here. There's a slight distinction, it's important, a slight distinction between thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving is expressing gratitude for what God has done. Praise is exalting God for who he is. Okay, Thanksgiving is expressing thankfulness for what God has done. Praise is exalting God for who he is. So um, the Coles took me out tonight for food. And when I was finished, I said, hey, thank you. That was very nice of you to take me out. Okay, that's Thanksgiving. Thank you for taking me out. But at some point, we were talking about ministry, and I had to say, you know, Pastor Coles, thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord all these years. Mrs. Coles, thank you. that I asked her, did you know you were going to marry a preacher? She said, I thought I was going to marry a farmer. And uh, I said, well, one plants and other waters, God gives the increase. But, you know, and then he said, 
she was the ideal pastor's wife. And I said, oh, I can see that. You know what he was doing? He's praising his wife. Okay, so thanksgiving is thanks for what you've done. Praise is exalting a person for who he is. How often do you and I exalt God? Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. How can praise be a sacrifice? Well, if you're the song leader, you'll figure out quickly, boy, it sure seems like a sacrifice for a lot of people, right? You look out there and like, come on, people sing. How do you think the pastor feels when he says, all right, testimony time. Who will be first? Okay, who will be second? Nobody wants to be first, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yeah, we, we ought to be quick to praise, but we're so hesitant. Well, you know, I feel awkward. I've... Think about this. The focus is me. My pastor said years ago, if we have people visit this church and they don't feel welcome, it's because of pride. I thought, what? He said, oh, you're all thinking the proud person is, hi, welcome to our church. My name's Bob. You'll want to know me. I'm kind of the premier member around here. Well, you could see that being proud. But he said, the person who's like, oh, I... I don't, they might not like me. I feel awkward. They probably wouldn't get a good impression of my church if I went up and talked to them. What's the focus? Me. Ooh, that was convicting. And think about this. When it comes to praise, we got to get the focus off us and put it on God. So often we're living under the circumstances. So the sacrifice of praise is, okay, I I may feel like my voice is going to go off key. I may feel like my voice is going to crack. Praise God anyway, right? How about if you're in a workplace and somebody says, that was an amazing presentation you gave her. Man, I love that piece of cabinetry you built her. Whoa, what a program you put together. That computer program is slick. And you say, well, praise God. They look at you like, what are you, some kind of Bible thumper? Okay, in church, I mean, that's pretty normal people say that. But you know, the sacrifice of praise is when you praise God in what could be a hostile environment. Sacrifice of praise. Hey, the sacrifice of praise is when Paul and, Barna, um, Paul and Silas were beaten for delivering the demon-possessed woman, and at midnight they prayed and what? Sang praises to God. They'd just gotten lashed till their bodies were oozing, and at midnight, okay, you can figure they'd be praying, but they were not saying, hey, get me to Christian Law Association. You know what they were saying? (laughs) Bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. They were praising God. That's the sacrifice of praise. Just start with that, and I'll tell you what, it'll make a difference in your prayer life. I haven't mastered this, but I, the Lord is teaching me, really think about praise before you move into petition. You know the extent of, of, of most thanksgiving in Christian praying, at least in America? Dear Lord, thank you for this day, and then we're off asking our petitions. Hey, if you took the sentence, thank you for this day, out of your prayer life, would you even know how to start it's almost like we're not even thinking about it. I just had the worst day in the world. Thank you for this day. You know, we don't really we think about it. We just pray it. How about thoughtful praise before you move on? So praise to God. That's number one. But then notice this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he says, thy kingdom come. Now what in the world does that mean? You know, sadly in America, about the only time we hear the expression kingdom come is some action person action movie and somebody's pointing a gun and saying, I'm going to blow him to kingdom come. What in the world? What does that mean, thy kingdom come? I had to think through that because I thought, okay, kingdom come. What do I know about kingdom come? Well, there is a future kingdom that's still coming. Hey, anytime you've been um, 
put off by unjust government, not that we'd ever have any, but anytime you've ever been put off by unjust government, did you ever think there's going to come a time when there will be perfectly righteous government in this world for 1,000 years? For 10 straight centuries, there'll be perfect government. Who, who will be king? King Jesus, yeah. That's a future event. We call it the millennium. So I wonder, well, is he, is he talking about that? I mean, do we need to pray about that? That's going to happen. Well, there is some precedent. Uh, I thought about Daniel when he knew that the end of the 70 years captivity was coming. And for three weeks he fasted and prayed and sought God that they might be restored to the land of Judah. And that happened, right? So, yeah, okay, thy kingdom come. Some people, sadly, relegate this only to the time of the millennium. I think that's a mistake. I think there's a, there's a pattern for all ages, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So I thought, well, okay, maybe, maybe it's just the millennial, thy kingdom come. Then I thought, well, listen to some of these verses. You might want to jot them down, in fact. Um, Matthew 4.23 speaks of the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel of the kingdom, interesting. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he says in Luke 17.20, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. In other words, it's not to be observed with the eyes. In fact, 17.21 says the kingdom of God is within you. Interesting. John 3, 3, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 21 says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And 1 Corinthians 15, 50 says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So there are times when kingdom of heaven refers to the millennial reign, there are other times when expressions like that refer to something else. I remember when I was first wrestling through this, and I thought, okay, Matthew usually, usually uses the term kingdom of heaven, and the other writers will often use kingdom of God. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe kingdom of heaven, maybe that's the millennial reign, and, uh, you know, kingdom of God, that's the reign of God in the hearts of men that's spiritual. Well, the problem is sometimes Matthew uses kingdom of heaven where the others use kingdom of God. You can't just parse it up that neatly. And I always like my theology to be nice and tidy, but you know what? If you try to fit Scripture into your theology, we got a problem. We need to fit our theology into Scripture. So I, I, I began to think, okay, what is, seems like, may, hey, I remember this. Sometimes in Scripture there's double reference fulfillment. Some, sometimes there'd be something fulfilled at one point and then further fulfilled later, and I, I could give you a lot of examples of that. Somebody a couple years ago gave me a copy of a book by Vance Havner called Living in Kingdom Come. I thought this shed some good light. Listen to this. Kingdom Come is, uh, let me see if I'm jumping ahead of myself. Yeah, long ago, God sent his son to tell us about the kingdom of God. First of all, he came to deal with sin, for it was sin that wrecked the first creation. He took our sins upon him and died in our stead. The kingdom came first in the person of the king himself. When Jesus lived on earth, he said, the kingdom of God is within you, Luke 17, 21. Then he goes on to say, in the meantime, the kingdom is the reign of God in the hearts of men who trust Christ as Savior and obey him as Lord. It is a spiritual kingdom at present and cometh not with observation. It's not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Mind you, the righteousness comes before the peace and joy, and it is not a do-it-yourself proposition. 
but in the Holy Ghost. In other words, righteousness has to come from God. Nobody knows how many belong to that kingdom. Statistics don't help here. Plenty of church members do not belong, only the born-again, blood-washed children of God. Kingdom come is an invisible community now. Wherever men know and serve Christ, there's the kingdom. In that sense, the kingdom's already come. But in another sense, it is a coming kingdom when our Lord returns, and then it will be a visible kingdom. It's both kingdom come and kingdom coming. When we pray thy kingdom come, we pray for its coming in the conversion of souls, but we also pray for its final coming when our Savior comes back to earth. I think you can make a good point for that because so many of these scriptures are the kingdom's not with observation, it's within you. You know, the millennial kingdom will be fully observable. Okay, so think about this. The Lord's coming had two interests. One, he came as redeemer. Second, he'll come as ruler. So how does a person become part of the forever family of God now? You must be born again. Wouldn't it make sense that when the Lord's teaching us to pray that his foremost interest would be in the conversion of lost souls? Thy kingdom come. Yeah, there's going to be a future millennial kingdom, but let me tell you who will not be a part of it. The unconverted will not be part of it. Your future in the millennial kingdom depends on your conversion before it comes. Huh. And, and there'll be those during that millennial kingdom who will have been born, you know, during the tribulation period. And you remember Satan's loosed at the end of a thousand years? And there is widespread rebellion. There will be people who were not saved. And even though there's been no tolerable sin in the world for 10 centuries, all of a sudden there's a mass revolt against God. That just shows the depravity of the heart of man. So think about this. Thy kingdom come. All right, so I jotted down 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I will therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God says pray for all men. Why? Because he wants all men to be saved. Do you realize praying for souls is part of the process of the conversion of souls? Think about this. How many of you know that one of the reasons you were saved, somebody prayed for you? Anybody here know that to be the case? I sure do. Okay, I know my mom and dad were praying for me. Okay, let me turn that around. Who might be in heaven one day because you prayed for them? Does it matter if we pray? Thy kingdom come. Lord, please work in my family. Their, their eyes are blind. They're, and, and by the way, I know with a lot of my family, they're religious people. Religious people are the hardest ones to reach. They think they're fine. Jesus, what did he mean when he said, I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance? I thought he said there's none righteous, no, not one. Exactly. If they don't see themselves as unrighteous, they will never see the need to be saved. So they've got to repent. They've got to recognize their need. Boy, you've got to pray, God, please work in their heart. So there is, number two then, petition for souls. One is praise to God. Number two is petition for souls. But there's one more we'll cover in this time and then we'll be finished tonight. And that is purpose in life. Number three. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Praise to God. Thy kingdom come. Petition for souls. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Purpose in life. A week, uh, no, two weeks ago, I was up at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mechanicsburg, PA. And I had actually been a member there at one time. It's a very... Um, Interesting story how we ended up from southern New Jersey out in central Pennsylvania in church. My parents had been through a situation where the pastor that they had fully supported 
Um, my dad had poured in, I think it was $40,000 into a building program. He was a general contractor. And one year he had a windfall profit, which he never did. And he poured it all back into our church. And he did the building himself. And, and my parents loved this pastor. He was the one that baptized me and discipled me. But all of a sudden, my pastor was being exposed to some ideas that he, he totally flipped on where he had stood. And my dad went to him and said, Pastor, you know, we came here because of your stand, and, and now you're changing. Well, the pastor began to attack my dad from the pulpit. I'm, I'm not bitter about this. I'm just telling you the facts. And um, so my dad realized, okay, this is not good. So he got the other deacon. They talked to the pastor about it. It was irreconcilable. So my dad said, you know, we, we're not going to blow this church up. And he just quietly left. But he was hurting. And uh, by the way, I, that pastor taught me how to study the Bible. I will have wonderful fellowship with him in heaven one day. But it was a hurtful time for my parents. And so they, they could have easily dropped out of church and been like, we're done. But thank God they didn't. And I had heard Dr. Don Smith preach down at uh, Pensacola when I was a student. And he was the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist in Mechanicsburg, PA, out near Harrisburg. And I told my parents, you ought to go out and hear this man. He's a, he's a man of prayer. Every Saturday night... His particular strength was his prayer life. He'd go to the auditorium and he'd go down each row and pray over each row. He'd go to each Sunday school class, pray for all the Sunday school teachers. And he would have told you he, he was not an eloquent pulpiteer. But man, this guy knew how to pray. And my parents were so blessed by going out there, they joined that church. We, we traveled two and a half hours one way every Sunday after my dad worked a full week as a general contractor. We'd go out early enough to get there for Sunday school, be there for church, spend the afternoon with church people, go to the evening service, and then drive back two and a half hours that night. And that went on for a year and a half. And I, I tell you all that because what drew my parents there, this pastor, when they had uh, business meetings, I checked with one of the deacons last week to make sure this was true. I said, Chet, I, I remember hearing that you guys would pray like two and a half hours and then you'd handle the business in like 15 minutes. He said, that's true. We just spend a ton of time praying together and then when it came time to vote on matters that the deacons need to vote on, we were so unified, it was like, okay, got that done. Think about this. When you pray, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you this. How do you think God's will is being done in heaven? Do you think there's any, you know... Is it up for any vote? You think it's contested? No. God's will is being done perfectly in heaven. So how does that apply for you and me? From the time my girls were little, I've been praying, Lord, if you want my daughters to be married, would you please prepare my girl for the guy that he'll marry, or she'll marry, and the guy for my girl? And I don't even know who that is. And I'll tell you, my oldest is the only one married, and she met Andrew at his church in uh, Providence Baptist in Riverview, Florida, when she was a high school kid. And I wouldn't let them date till, date till they were in college. You know, I, I view dating as discerning God's will for your life. So I hope you understand my, what I'm talking about when I'm saying dating, all right? Discerning. And so I didn't let them date till they were in college. Um, and so they went to the same college, and only guy she ever loved, and they got married. And it was amazing. So my other one's 23. I've been praying for her. Not had a date. And that's not because I'm saying you can't have a date. I might have to be, do with being six, two and a half. But uh, she, she loved to be married. But, you know, I always pray, Lord, if you want her to be married, just bring the right person to her. How many times I've met people say, oh, we, we thought this move would be good for our family. We thought that would be a good match for our daughter or son. We thought, and then we look back and say, oh, if I'd only known how this would turn out, I would have never approved of that. Well, I don't want to do that either, so I don't know how things are going to turn out, but guess who does? 
God does. So what if we pray, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I challenge you to pray for your kids every day. Pray for your pastor. You ought to pray for your pastor every day. God, as pastors preparing messages, give them just what we need. Lord, as the deacons and pastor meet and they, you know, the, whether it's where we appropriate our money or how we, what direction we go, give them wisdom, Lord. Please, please work in our state the way you are in heaven. Hmm. Work in America the way you are in heaven. He says you have not because you what? Ask not. So what if we deliberately start praying, let your will be done. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Even everyone that's called by my name, I've created him for my glory. I've formed him, yea, I've made him. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. My sister came home from school, Christian school. She was a fifth grader, and she was learning catechisms. Well, I, I had Roman Catholic friends who learned catechisms, but I didn't know any, you know, I don't know any Protestants or Baptists who learned catechisms. And, and I said, what are you, well, catechisms? It's a series of questions and answers. Well, I found out it wasn't just Catholics who used catechisms. Um, the Presbyterians did. There's one called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The Baptists did. Charles Spurgeon used a series of catechisms, questions and answers. And I found out the very first question in both the Baptist Catechism and the Presbyterian Catechism, question number one, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, what does that mean? What's the chief end of man? What's the main reason man was created? to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now that sounds good. I wanted to know, is that truly biblical? Well, yeah, it is. See, here's the problem. All have sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. But we were created for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 again says, everyone that's called by my name, I've created him for my glory. I've formed him. I've made him. And then he says in Revelation, thou, um, thou art worthy, O Lord, to, see, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. What's that mean? You were made to have fellowship with God, have a relationship with God. We talked about that in our prayer time tonight. God created you to have an intimate, a, a genuinely close relationship with him. Well, most people don't, right? That's because of sin. But when a person gets saved, they have the capacity to have that relationship. And so what you're praying is, Lord, I want your will to be done in my world just like it's being done in heaven. Do you think there's open communion? communion with God in heaven? You think there's an open relationship? Of course there is. How about we pray for that now? You know, my, the Lord says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. My father-in-law had a message called being close to God, and he said this, you know, you're as close to God as you choose to be. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, so why does he say draw nigh to God? He'll draw nigh to you. God didn't move, so who moves? It's we who move. So we're going to stop there for tonight. There's more to unpack tomorrow, but just chew on that for a little bit. Meditate. Remember last night we talked about meditate? Okay, praise to God, petition for souls, purpose in life. If that's all you got, just that first little bit from the Savior will transform your prayer life if you pray. Dad, why do you think God wants us to pray? Good question, Heather. I'm sure there are a lot of reasons, but one reason I know is when we pray specifically and God answers specifically, he gets the glory. Well, you know, he also says he daily loads us with benefits. So I haven't been getting many. Uh, you have not because you what? Ask not. So if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to them that ask him? 
So how about we pray? I want to ask you to stand with me tonight. You listen really well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Father, I would join in what the disciples asked you. Teach us to pray. Not just uh, how to do it. Teach us to do it. Teach us to pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.